The Jim Channel Podcast, bringing you the big picture on geoscientific information management through interviews and discussions. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of Acquire's podcast, The Jim Channel. I'm Sarah Mitchell. I'm your host today, and I'm joined by our guest, Roy Irvine. Roy is currently the forum director for the M Group, or E-Triple-M Group, as a lot of people will know it by. Uh, he's held a variety of roles with companies in the mining industry, including De Beers, Datamine, and Kinross Gold. He's passionate about helping people understand their roles in an organization, and he particularly wants them not to be afraid to question the status quo. Um, he, this is done by embedding something called boundaryless information flow into an organization. Welcome, Roy. Hi. Good morning. We're also joined by Steve Mundell, Acquire's Director of Product. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. And lastly, we have Misha Stacker with us, a content marketing specialist, and she'll be joining us today as well. Hi, Misha. Hi, everyone. Fantastic. Now, um, let's get right into this, Roy, because we've got some really fascinating things to discuss today. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background? Um, yes, I qualified as a geologist in the UK um, a very long time ago. In, in 1978, I finished my degree. And as I qualified, there was yet another mining slump. So I applied for 150 jobs and didn't even get a single interview. So I was able to do a master's degree, uh, which I then did, and then eventually started knocking on doors and got a job with Anglo-American and was sent out to South Africa in November 1979. And then I left the beers 27 years later, again during one of the downsizes, um, but luckily was able to go into another job straight away with with data mine. Um, I'd always had a passion for data and computer systems. I'll talk a little bit more on that later. Then after seven years of that, one of the clients was looking for a QAQC manager and a database manager. So I spent three years in West Africa, in Mauritania. I finished that last year. And then when I came back to Johannesburg, um, I got involved with the Open Group M Forum again, and was then appointed the director in November of 2016. Let's talk a little bit about the M Forum. What is, what is the purpose of it? Um, the the open, if you take a step back, the open group itself has been going for about 25 years and is an organization of consortium of companies who create standards for different types of industries. So they've created standards for finance, for telecom, for insurance. And about six years ago, we started to look at exploration and mining and realized that there was an awful lot of crosstalk because people were using different terms for the same things. Plus, they were really stuck in their silos. So the goal of the M group is to create standards that people can use. Everything we produce is public domain. Um, so if you're in a mine, you can go and look and see which part of the business do you fit in. And most importantly, who feeds you and who do you feed? Um, and that comes up to using the 
short-term boundary-less information flow where we're trying to knock down the silos within the mining industry so that information can flow from one end to the other with, this, with ideally no obstacles. Okay, great. Now, if you haven't heard of the acronym M, it, it is an acronym. It stands for Exploration, Mining, Metals, and Minerals. And Roy, could you tell us, you know, we're, you mentioned uh, down cycles in the industry and much of the world is in a down cycle right now or coming uh, towards the end of a down cycle. In your opinion, what is the value something like the M Forum brings in a current climate like in a down cycle? Um, well, one of the obvious ones um, that it could have been used for would be if you are looking at cost saving, which obviously all the companies have been involved with, is before you tackle the cost saving, you could use the process model to identify where are you actually spending the money in which part of the process. Um, the M process model focuses obviously on the technical side of exploration and mining, but it also has all of the supporting activities like IT, HR, um, finance, social programs and things. And my feeling is that a lot of the cuts have been done for the short term gain, but the companies are going to then struggle when the turnaround happens and a lot of the technical skills that they had, they actually let go. And then they're gonna wonder how do they actually work in the new upturn environment. Steve, you're working all the time in a commercial environment and talking to miners all the time about what they're currently dealing with and what's on the horizon for them. So what are the current challenges that you're seeing for this group as it relates to M and, and how does it help them? Yeah, I think um, that's a really good question. I think it's more of how it helps them. And, and it really comes down to that point that you, you made here around us talking to the miners, um, is that this gives us a framework to have a conversation and really cut through, you know, what is that terminology and, and where do we fit? So, so for example, we say that we do gym. And so to be able to communicate that clearly and for everyone to be on the same page as to what we do is really important. It makes us, um, you know, allow us to express our position um, much, much more clearly. And I think this is becoming even more important as we you know, go through the years is that we're seeing that there's, you know, I guess this term is coming up, unbundling of all of the, the process and unbundling of all of the technology that's within the, the mining value chain. And as things sort of come apart, they need to find their places where they fit. So if we're able to relate um, where we fit with the framework that EMMM provides is that it makes it very easy to see where technology fits. And then when it does come down to those points that Roy mentioned uh, around cost savings and where to target that is that then you can look at, well, what systems are going to help me with uh, with doing that in the particular areas. So I think that it's, it's fundamental, I guess, for setting out that that framework for um, for communication. Excellent. Uh, Roy, I, I know you're passionate about how data is used within an organization, and you've, you've given us a couple different examples, especially one of them with um, a, a transient workforce. Um, you see that mine resource database as one of the most valuable assets on a mine. So um, do you think that's being recognized in the industry? And if not, how do you think it can be recognized um, more widely? Is it recognized by the board? Um, well, first of all, yes, I do agree that it isn't being recognized 
well, not even just by the board, but even by the general management and Exco on the mine. Um, if you look at most mines, the database will be managed by somebody like myself who's got a geological background with some PC skills. Whereas if you look at the other databases like HR and supply chain, those things are managed by IT professionals. And the amount of support that those databases have compared to the geological one is just enormous. One of the things I used to do when I was in the data mine days, when people were always saying, well, what's the benefit of getting this piece of software in, is I would use um, an estimate of what a geological database is worth. And basically, you just take how many meters of drill samples you have in the database, you take the current drilling cost, multiply them together, and then I used to double the cost because that took the amount of effort that people worked on it. And you come up with some very big numbers. You know, tens, well, at least most of them are at least $50 million. Some of them are three or $400 million. Suddenly, when people realize that, their eyes open. And I say, if you lose the database, that's what you really lose. Because in a lot of cases, you can't get back to the places where you sampled. You've either mined them out or you've given up the lease area. So please start looking after this asset. And I would actually love to see a geological database put down as a financial asset in a mine financial statement because it should be there. It's work in progress. Roy, I think you just did a magnificent service to the whole industry by giving that little return on investment example. And I think there are probably going to be lots of uh, geology uh, DBMs that are, are going to be wanting to buy you a beer the next time they see you. The other part that, that leads on to that, the other part of the ROI, is then you say, well, what is the saving of you get from buying a software system? And it's all about saving time. And when you do that, the senior geologist in the team literally is having to save one to two hours a week. And the junior geologists are having to save just a handful of hours a week. Um, it, the, the numbers really are amazing when you look at them like that. Unfortunately, um, a lot of the geological staff haven't got any business training whatsoever. I was actually lucky to do a one-year MBA, which at least I understood ROIs. And suddenly when you start expressing things in those terms, which it should be done, um, things become very simple and there's no argument about why you should have the latest technology to manage your geological data. Roy, do you think boards are aware of the asset that um, geoscientific information is to an organization? No, honestly, I don't. And I think it's one of the things we just have to keep hammering away. Um, a good example that I had was when I was with De Beers, they sold one of the assets and I had to hand over the, the database to the new company. And, you know, this is really going back a bit now. It actually fitted onto a 1.44 Stiffy. And that was the entire, so if you look at it in one way, whatever this thing, this stiffy drive was worth a dollar. 
in some ways, that's what people thought this whole thing was worth. Of course, it wasn't worth that. It was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, you you make an excellent point. And I, I think from a lot of people, you know, just not, as you say, not having the business experience to understand how to put that into dollars and cents and that the that little formula that you gave us we'll definitely have to put that in the show notes yeah and you know the nice thing about it is that nobody's ever challenged me when i've mentioned it so if somebody can come up with another way of doing it but i think whatever we do it's still going to come up with a very big number and if you look at it that um, many mines that have been collecting some of the the mines in africa have been collecting data for almost 100 years. That is an incredible knowledge base that should be used. Roy, we heard during a panel discussion um, at Acquire's booth at PDAC last year that uh, as an industry, we are data pigs was the term that was used. Um, And this is based on we collect so much data and we're good at collecting data, but really is all data used effectively. What are your thoughts on this? Um, no, I would I would agree with it. It's um, it's an interesting term that they've used. Um, and again, one of the good examples I did was when we had to look at um, upgrading a company where they had seven sites. They had three different database systems, and I don't know, probably two hundred years worth of data collectively. The first thing I did was ask what is this data used for the final system they ended up with was about 10 percent of the number of tables in the original system and they're now working much more efficiently the i think because of you know i blame the spreadsheets i blame lotus one two three um, it became too easy to, to add an extra column into something in a spreadsheet in the old days. And people just never thought about, well, what is the, what am I actually going to use this piece of data for? And if you really strip things down, you end up with the position of the sample, the geological type, alteration, weather, and et cetera, and then the grade values and density and hardness if people can just get that right that's 80 percent of the data that's going to be used and then it does make it an awful lot easier Um, another little exercise that you can do is to look at all of the rows and columns in a database and find out how many of them have any data in them and if you do that the number is really small the last time i did it I had databases that were only 15 to 20 percent populated but they were getting bigger and bigger and bigger and i think really the industry needs to look and that's again one of the things we'll do with them is to produce a data model this year where people can really critically review what is the critical data for going forwards and what is the nice to have when you talk about, um, I love that idea of, of producing a model for the industry to help them, you know, get more out of their data. What, what are some other things you're seeing that are stopping companies getting the most out of their data? The, uh, one of the points that you were talking about is the fact that most people don't understand anything about data quality. Um, when I was doing the work as the database manager, 
when I first got there, they said, well, it's your job to do data quality. And I said, no, it's not my job. It's my job to teach you how to do it. And I look at data quality very much like safety. Um, when I started out in the mine, the, so that's nearly 40 years ago, the attitude was, oh, the safety officer is going to make sure that we're safe. Thankfully, you know, that has changed, that it's everybody's responsibility about safety. In the same way, we need to get to the point that anyone who uses data needs to understand about data quality. So when they get some data, they actually know how can they use it, um, what can they use it for, and what are the boundaries. Excellent. Um, Roy, what do you think the mine of the future looks like? One of the challenges is that um, the existing mines will be going for a long, long time. So because of their ore body geometry plus the infrastructure that's in place, plus the culture, I don't see there'll be a dramatic change in that. Obviously, if you can start with a brand new mine, you can then really look at optimizing you know, first of all, how do you do, if it's an underground mine, how do you do your development so that all you take out is the valuable material and you're doing it in a safe way by using autonomous vehicles that can get into places that you wouldn't want to put a person to. Um, if that does happen to be a rockfall, then the worst is you've lost the vehicle, at least you haven't lost a life. So there should be an awful lot of scenario planning, much more than I think is being done to look at what the possible minds of the future can look at. And again, all of the technology is, is already there. Um, another one of my favorite things I've been watching is what's happening on Mars. And you know, it's amazing that you can download a geological map from the USGS of Mars and nobody's ever been there. But if you go to an underground mine, the geologist is still standing there with a, an A5 pad and a pencil. Um, there should be new, you know, there's technologies like using, you know, GoPro type things to map where you are, to understand where you are, send that data up that other people can look at it. I think that was one of the advantages from the pre personal computing age was that people spent an awful lot of time looking at the raw data, looking at the information, which then was hard copy maps and just discussing what do I do next? Now we seem to be just wanting to rush ahead doing whatever we're doing in the past and not wanting to change things. Roy, you've provided such really valuable insight today and a couple of, you know, really meaty things for us in the industry to think about. Um, I'm sure we could talk to you for ages, um, but unfortunately, we've, uh, we're at the end of our time here today. So if you've enjoyed our discussion, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast, which you can find on our Acquire newsroom at acquire.com.au. Roy, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. It was um, 
you know, a very good way of, you know, having a discussion and just getting things out there in terms of distributing it. Yeah, we will also be, as I have been doing, whatever is done within the M group, and I see this as part of that, will be shared amongst the existing members, plus we'll use it um, for prospective members as well, because this is perhaps the new way of doing the discussion over the, the old discussion over the bar. This is the new way we can do it. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, uh, we appreciate your support. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. Yeah, and thanks, Misha. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Acquire's podcast, The Gym Channel. Find us at acquire.com.au. Thank you.